let's bow in prayer. Father, help us now. We're bowed in your presence. We acknowledge your sovereignty over this hour in the word of God. Help us, O God, to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God. Help us all to see your word. Help us all to listen to your word. May it make a difference in our lives today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go through this interesting chapter, these practical lessons from the early church, the first lesson we learn in the portion which our brother Rob read is that they worshipped. Now, you say, well, it says they went to the they went to pray. Well, that's true. Well, when you go to when you worship, you usually pray, right? So I call it they worshipped in these uh, verses one through ten. And as you read the New Testament, you will find some interesting things. For instance, in Luke chapter 24, verse 35, it says, it is said that the apostles were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So worship was a part of their lives. And so that's where they were doing. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. A wonderful verse in Psalm Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That was my father-in-law, George Monroe's favorite verse. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Dear ones, are you glad that you're in the house of the Lord today? Or you just, um, I trust that you are. You don't have to go to church to pray, but when you do, it's a good thing to pray, and that's what these men were doing. As Rob said, it was the third, it was the ninth hour, that was about three in the afternoon. And this, this man that was lame had been there for 40 years, the scripture tells us, and uh, uh, he was at the gate beautiful. Now, we read that word and we say, oh boy, I wonder what that means. I wonder how many times this lame man looked at that gate and thought, oh boy, if I could just have a chunk of it. Listen to what Josephus said about that gate, beautiful. According to Josephus, it measured 75 feet high by 60 feet wide. That's quite a door. The gate was adorned with thick plates of gold and silver. Its weight was so great that it took 20 men to move it. Its massiveness and magnificence, therefore, well earned for it the name beautiful. That's what it was, beautiful gate. Well, the lame man, the lame man did you notice, got more than he asked for? He was asking for money, but he got healing. When people go to pray, it is amazing what happens. If you are a person of prayer, as you are on your way to prayer, or throughout your day, or your week, whatever, God is going to use you in some way. That's what he did these two men. They were just going up to pray, to worship. God used them to heal a man who needed this special healing. What a wonderful thing. Spurgeon said, A beggar's cry would not annoy us if we were looking out for opportunities of doing good. Sometimes the beggars disturb us. We don't like it. They're an inconvenience. They're moving in on us. Oh, no. There's an opportunity to serve. That's what these men saw, and this man was wonderfully saved. We took a dear old lady at our church in Benjamin Constant, uh, I mean in, uh, in Natal, Brazil. We took her to church every Sunday. We got her at a rest home. She'd been a school teacher for 52 years, and she got saved. And we would pick her up and take her to church. And as we were driving over to that section of Natal, 
she would say, Mr. Ralph, are we getting near the church? And I'd say, yes, Rita, we're almost there. She'd say, praise the Lord. And then she'd start singing. And she'd sing all the way to the church. She'd love to be at church. I hope that's our vision today, that we love to be in the church. Well, in verses 11 to 26, the second thing is that they preached. Now, you'll notice that Peter preached quite a bit. And here he is preaching again in verses 11 to 26. He had an audience right away. Did you see how it happened? It's very, very easy as Rob read it. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So they saw a lame man healed, and boy, Peter had his crowd. What a wonderful way. Some of us who have done street uh, preaching on the street corners have always, you know, wondered if anyone would preach when we started talking. But boy, these fellows came in a hurry because a lame man was there and he'd been healed. So Peter had an audience. This Solomon's porch is a very interesting place too, you know. This porch was a covered way of passage on the east side of the passage, or, or the east side of the temple, I should say. And it was distinguished for its magnificence. It was beautiful. It was a great covered portico of the temple built on foundations that had been reared by Solomon and hence called by its name. In fact, you'll see in John chapter 10, verse 23, that Jesus taught in this very same place. Well, it's interesting as, as Peter preached to this little crowd that came around him, or probably was a big crowd by then, you notice that in verses 12 to 13 that, that he did not draw any attention to himself. He only drew attention to Jesus, his Savior. What a wonderful thing that is. In verses 13 to 15, he accused them of denying Christ because they had. They're the ones that, because of that, sent Jesus to the cross. So he accused them of denying Christ. And it says the lame man's faith in verse 16 had saved him. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. But I love the way in verse 17 that Peter was good to them. Did you notice that? Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now, he had already kind of blasted them and said they had denied Christ, which is true, but he was kind in them in saying that all of this was done because of their ignorance. He was kind to the people to whom he preached. What a wonderful lesson for all of us who preach the message, you see. And you notice in verse 19 of, of chapter 3 that he was preaching repentance. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a wonderful verse that is. He preached repentance. Uh, I, I jotted down something here. We need, a, we need a vision of hell so that we would be energized by God the Holy Spirit to plead with people to turn from their iniquities to the living, loving God Jesus and be saved. How true that is. You must repent. Repentance is taught all through the new scripture, the New Testament. That is part of our salvation experience, repenting, feeling sorry for how your sins have offended a holy God, and you repent of those and come to Jesus because he died on the cross to take those sins upon himself, upon the tree, to die in your place and mine so that if we would come to him and just by faith say, Jesus, I believe you died for me, when you do that, those sins will be lifted, they'll be forgiven, and you'll be on the road for eternal life. That's what everyone in our auditorium today should have already done. And if you haven't, please do it as we even preach right now 
invite Jesus into your life to be your Savior. Oh, how wonderful it is. Well, we have such wonderful examples here. Uh, preach, uh, Peter, as you go on down through this chapter, this section uh, here about his preaching, he talked about the return of the Lord. He talked about the reception of the Lord. He talked about rejection and retribution. And he talked about resurrection in verse 26. So he, he covered a lot of the great essentials that preachers do when they preach. And there were just a few words, but that's, he was, a, I guess, a short-winded preacher, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, in the third thing I find as I go through this chapter, they, they had problems. Oh, yes. They, 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 they worshiped, they preached, but they also had problems. And we find that in chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And notice in verses 1 and 2, now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. These religious rulers were upset, and highly so, that these two apostles were interfering with them, and they didn't like what was going on, so they were, they were, they were upset. They were disturbed for teaching and preaching Jesus and his resurrection, according to verse 2. And so, look what happens in verse 3. Verse three and, they, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody, of course. Put them in jail. Uh, until the next day, for it was already evening. So they got rid of them that way, just let them pass the night in jail. And uh, it's really, really interesting. But, you know, whatever there is a negative, like they're having to go and be put in jail, Look at verse 4, what it says right there. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Here we go. Preaching the word faithfully. Look what God does. He gets, he gets the people in. He gets souls saved if you preach faithfully the word of God. Uh, 5,000. We... It most likely was uh, the 5,000 included the 120 that was back in Acts chapter 1 that Pastor spoke on last week, and probably the 3,000 at Pentecost that in the next chapter, chapter 2. And then it says uh, others who were added daily in, in, in 241. And so we don't really know, but anyway, that would adds up to a lot of people. Anyway, the rulers had some questions. Notice verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas and uh, the, the high priest and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they said, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, that is a very poor thing to ask a couple of men who are following God. Why are you doing all of this? Why did you do this? Well, boy, that opened the door again for Peter to preach another message. Isn't that wonderful? That's just the way it works. So that's the problem. We, um, we, think, it's, we think it's just absolutely wonderful. So when they said, by what power, what, have you done this? So uh, Peter gives a testimony in verses uh, 8 to 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this we... If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So what a testimony. He was using 
He was using the, the, uh, the, the opportunity to uh, once again present Jesus to these dear people. So we find that there's some interesting, interesting things happen. Uh, verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And verse 12 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I'm, I'm sure you noticed it. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you came in this morning and think there was some way to get saved except through Jesus, better take a look at this verse. This is the only way to get to heaven. He's Jesus by receiving him. What a wonderful, wonderful lesson that is. So anyway, I love what it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Dear friends, when you leave here today and go anywhere where you're going to go, in your home, at your work, at your play, at the restaurant, wherever you go, are people going to know that you have been with Jesus? Oh, what a testimony that is. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Do people know that I have been with my Savior? Listen, that should be the goal of our lives. I trust that all of us can say that. Their accusers, their accusers knew that they had been with Jesus because that's what they said. You know, Spurgeon said, converts shut the mouths of adversaries. By our lives, the way we live for Christ oftentimes shuts those who are against the gospel that we represent and preach. So it's really something. Well, in verses 15 to 18 of chapter 4, they gave us some more command of the rulers. They, they commanded them. They've done this over and over again, commanded them to no longer speak in Jesus' name. They could, deny, they could not deny what had happened. They saw the lame man healed. They commanded them not to speak or teach in Jesus' name. And it says that in verse, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But notice what Peter said in verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Dear people, I wish that we could all adopt that policy in our Christian lives that we just had to tell people about Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful thing it would be. How different Ferndale would be tomorrow if we could just all do that starting today. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, anyway, we go on and we get down. They were released in verses 21 and 22. And um, I think that's, that's, that's wonderful, and it's really a, a, quite, a, quite a lesson. And then we come to the fourth, the fourth part of the outline in this, this study of these three chapters. In verses 23 to 31, they prayed. Now, we've already seen them praying in the temple as they worship, but now in verse 23, it's interesting what it says. And being let go, they went to their own companions. You see, they were in custody. Now they were let out. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to their friends. Is that where you would go if you were let out? Would you go to your friends? They went to their friends and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
uh, because, of course, they had been praying for them as well. And what a wonderful thing that is. I, I wonder, do we all have different comfort zones? Do we all have kind of people we like to go to when there's a problem or a joy in our lives? Well, that's what they did. So they went to their companions. And what a place for us to go to our companions, our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus with whom we can fellowship and just uh, uh, do wonderful things. Notice in verse 24 what they did then. So when they heard that, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God and with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. When they said, Lord, you are God, they used a word in their language. If we could all speak it, we would understand it better, uh, dear people. But what they, were, what they were actually saying is that they were saying, they were saying in so many words that this word Lord is not the usual word for the Lord, but it's, it's in the New Testament. It is the Greek word, which means it was the, used of a slave owner or ruler who has power that cannot be questioned. So when they prayed... They knew they were talking to God, someone who ran the universe, upon whom they could depend, upon whom they could call and ask for help, his help, and they prayed with power and confidence because they knew God was in control. Sometimes when we pray, we don't realize that God is in control, and so we don't pray with that fervor that we need to as believers, but these men did because they knew who was in control. And I loved another thing about it, which we can't go into great detail because our time, of course, does not permit. But, you know, in verse 25, look what, look what happens. It says, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers had gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You know what they were doing? As they prayed, they were using scripture. Sometimes we pray and we just start talking to the Lord, which is okay. But it's wonderful to use God's word as you pray. Talk the scriptures back to God as you pray. You'll be amazed at what happens. And here they were doing this, bringing verses out of the Old Testament that applied to the situation of how Jesus was treated and now applying it to the people to whom he was preaching and what a wonderful application and use of the scriptures. A lot could be said about that. Christians today ought to imitate the first Christians in their praying, for they tied their praying to the word of God. John 15, verse 7 says it plainly, says, If you abide in me and my words, my words, Jesus' words, abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. What a wonderful, wonderful lesson. Well, in verses 26 and 27, under this same part of the outline, they recognized the opposition for their enemies. They surely did. They knew, they knew that they were opposed by the enemies. And in verse 28, they took comfort in their suffering. I like this. They took comfort in their suffering. Did you see how I worded it? To do whatever your hand, your, in my Bible, is capitalized. He's talking to God. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. You see, they knew, they knew that God was in control and they realized that the sufferings were ordained for a certain reason and they would just let it be that way. And they relied on the Lord to help them in their trials and their troubles, what it says in verse 29. Now, Lord, look on your threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. 
That's what they needed. That's what we need too. We need to rely on the Lord in times of trial. Oh, how important that is. So very, very important. In verse 30, they asked for supernatural ability to perform miracles in order to reach people for Christ. In verse 30 is what it says. What a wonderful verse. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so the story just keep on going in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Yes, they certainly did. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time this was. You know, through the ages, there have been men of God that have preached the word of God, and some are humble. Most of them are humble. Some maybe not be, but anyway, Jonathan Edwards was a great preacher. You've all heard about his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. In seven, uh, he was born in 1703. He was a brilliant preacher whose sermons had an overwhelming impact on, on those who heard him. One in particular, his famous message, Sinners in the Hands of the Might Angry God, moved hundreds of people to repentance and salvation. That one single message helped to spark the revival known as the Great Awakening, if you've read about it, in 1734. From a human standpoint, it seems incredible that such far-reaching results could come from one message Edwards did not have a powerful, commanding voice or impressive pulpit manner. He used very few gestures. He read from his notes, like I'm doing right now. Yet God's, but I'm not like John Ed, I'm not like him. Uh, yet God's spirit moved upon his hearers with conviction and power. Few people know the spiritual preparation involved in this man before he preached that great message. John Chapman gave us the story. John Chapman said, for three days, Edwards had not eaten a mouthful of food before he preached that message. For three nights, he had not closed his eyes in sleep before he preached that message. Over and over again, he was heard to pray, Oh, Lord, give me New England. Give me New England. When he arose from his knees and made his way to the pulpit that Sunday, he looked as if he had been gazing straight into the face of God. Even before he began to speak, tremendous conviction fell upon his audience. Beloved, when the Spirit of God fills the life of a Christian, there is no telling what the Lord can do through him or her. May we seek his fullness each day. May we be willing and available to the Lord to be used by him because we just can't help it. What a wonderful thing. So we move into the end of uh, chapter 4 now, and they, they shared their belongings. I won't read that. You know the story. They, they, uh, some people said, oh, it's communism. No, it's not communism. Communism is something that is required of you. This was voluntary. This was, this, I call it commu-sharing. That's what I call it, commu-sharing. They just sold things and sold them, and they supported everybody. No one, no one did without. It was wonderful. So it was a, a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, sometimes people have to go with, with a little bit. Sometimes we don't have a whole lot of, to go along, and that's just the way life is. I'm, I read of a couple who, um, who, because they were generous and had given away most that they had, came to Christmas time, and they went to the, the Christmas tree lot, and the, or the man that grows them, and, and, and there, there was nothing in their price range because they only had $3.00. And he said to the man, they said to the man, would you give us 
two of your worst trees that you have on your lot, just two of the worst, just the worst. And the man could not understand it, but he did. And it was a small town, so later on he was walking down the street and he saw this beautiful tree in these people's living room that he had sold to them, but it was beautiful. And he knocked at the door and said, what would you do? He says, well, we just tied the two bad ends, put them up together, and wrapped them together, and decorated them. It looked like a brand new, beautiful tree. See? Sometimes we can get along with less. Sometimes we think we have to have more, but sometimes we don't really have to do it. Innovation. I, I just loved it. Anyway, the sixth thing in our outline, that they, God disciplined them for lying. I'm not going to go through that section. You know it well, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And dear people, it is so easy to lie to the Holy Spirit by making people think you are something that you are not or by saying something to others that you are not. God knows your heart. Uh, doctor, have you ever heard of Dr. Barnhouse, the pastor of the uh, 10th Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia? He was there for 33 years. My wife and I had the privilege of going to hear him speak one Sunday morning. It took him, I think, eight years to go through the book of Romans alone, preaching it. Imagine that. Anyway, here's what Dr. Here's what Dr. Barnhouse, he <clears throat> never let his church sing the third verse of the hymn, which is in your, your hymnals there, Remember the song we used to sing at Calvary, Years I Spend in Vanity? He would never let them sing the, 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 um, the, the third verse of that song. You know why? Because here's what the third verse says. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. For most people, it's probably a lie. How many of us have given to Jesus everything? How many of us can say he is definitely my king? So most of us, most of us have not done this, and that, that was his point. So Barnhouse went on to say, well, Barnhouse was a tough guy. Listen to what he said. If God acted in the same way today as he did in Acts 5, you would have to have a, mor a morgue in the basement of the church and a mortician on the pastoral staff. The seventh thing that we find here are signs and wonders. Yes, God does signs and wonders. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.22, it says, in fact, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. God allowed signs and, and miracles. In fact, whenever a new era began in church history, you will find this happens over and over again. Moses, Moses did miracles. Remember all those? When, when the law was given. Remember the prophets? Great power had been given to Elijah and to Elisha. And then when the ministry of Jesus and the apostles commenced, God used miracles to convince men and women to follow the leaders he sent to them. So it's, it's such a truth. And then the eighth part of the outline is that there was imprisonment. Oh, yes. In, in chapter 5, verse 17, um, they were put in prison. An angel let them loose. But the fact was that they were in prison and they were, they were giving their lives because of their dedication to Christ. They were put in prison, but Jesus freed them, and they went on to be a blessing. And the ninth, the ninth part of our outline is they had death threats. It wasn't the first time. Look at, um, look at verse 33. I, I believe it's verse 33. Yes. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. That's what they were going to do with the disciples. going to kill them going to kill them. They had death threats, another one of the marks of the early church. 
And then, um, but Peter, and I love it, what, what Peter said in verse, uh, I think it's way up in verse 29, is it? Yeah, but Peter, the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, the last one is this. The last one is, after death threats, number 10 is they, they were witnessing. They always were witnessing. Um, Gamaliel came and talked to them, calmed down the crowd. They, he was a respected rabbi. He was also Paul's teacher. And anyway, they, 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 they got all that and calmed down. But look, you come down to verse 41, and notice what happens in verse 41. Or uh, 40 and 41, I think it is. <clears throat> and they agreed with them, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. So there they are out there witnessing again, witnessing for Jesus. Are you witnessing for Jesus? I read of an open-air meeting in Liverpool where a skeptic gave a great, huge, strong address against Christianity, against Jesus. It was a huge audience. And at the close, he made this bold statement. If anyone here in this auditorium can say a single word in favor of Jesus, let him come on up here and say it. Not a man moved. No one moved. The silence became oppressive. Then two young girls arose, walked down to the center of this huge auditorium, as if moved by the Holy Spirit, up to the speaker and said, We can't speak, sir, but we can sing for Christ. And they sang with great power the song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus these two girls. When the song ceased, every head was uncovered. All were deeply moved, some were sobbing, and the crowd quietly went away, apparently with no thought of the skeptic's words. Can you stand with God against the blasphemies, against the sneers, and against temptations, to dishonesty, against bribery and subtle form, against flattery, against persecution, my friend? Oh, that we would do that for Jesus' sake. I have three questions today, three questions. Number one, are you willing to move out of your comfort zone and do something for God? Question number one. Question number two, will you promise God now in prayer that you will trust him for the strength and courage to be a witness for him? Question number three, will you please share your decision with someone and ask them to help you be accountable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, seal to our hearts this rapid study through three chapters. Help something to stick that we need. Only allow us to remember, Lord Jesus, that which we are supposed to remember, but help us, O oh Lord, to not ever forget it and to put it into practice for Jesus' sake.